also. Well, brethren, the text on which we are going to meditate this morning contains many very useful lessons for our lives. The, the text of the Apostle Paul are always rich in, teach, in teachings. Always. But if we had to identify a major topic underlying these few verses, it would surely be the Lord's providence. The Lord's providence. Our shorter catechism uh, defines providence as follows. God's works of providence are his most holy, wise, and powerful preserving and governing all his creature and all their actions. By his providence, our Lord sustains and governs all creatures and all their actions. Providence is the expression in time of God's eternal purpose. It is through providence and creation, of course, that God executes his eternal decree. But look, our, our text does not treat providence in a purely didactic way. Our text does not deal with providence in a purely dogmatic or didactic way. Also parts of this epistle, the epistle of Paul to the Romans, come close to a systematic theological treatise, especially parts concerning the doctrine of justification by faith alone or uh, the doctrine of eternal election. This is not how providence is addressed in these verses. Rather, providence is considered in relation to Paul's desire to visit the Romans believers. Paul desires something that providence has not yet allowed. And how well we know this feeling, isn't it? How many times have we been frustrated because providence was contrary to our desires, to our aspirations? How many tears inner murmurings, discontent, 
and anger. Well, brethren, the great Apostle Paul also had to face a providence contrary to his desire. So we should examine this text to find out what Paul's attitude and reaction was to such a situation. And certainly, by seeking to be his imitators, as he himself was Christ's imitator, we will do well. We will do well trying to imitate Paul's reaction, Paul's attitude before a contrary, an adverse providence. But first, we need to consider uh, some other valuable truths that are taught to us in this text. And we will look at verse 8 to begin. So, <clears throat> verse 8 serves as an introduction to the whole section we are meditating on this morning. The believers, the Christians in Rome, were the subject of the apostles' thanksgiving. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. As uh, it is often the case, Paul begins his letter with some praise directed to uh, his audience, isn't it? Paul gives thanks. He gives thanks for all the believers in Rome. In Rome. But note that he gives thanks through Jesus Christ. Paul is giving thanks through Jesus Christ. And the apostle reminds us of a fundamental truth here. A fundamental truth. Our persons and our services are made acceptable to God only through Jesus Christ. It's only through Christ that our persons and our services are made acceptable to God. It is because of the work of redemption accomplished by Christ and applied, applied to our person by the Holy Ghost that we can have access to the fathers, to the Father in prayer. It is only by virtue of Christ's obedience, satisfaction and intercession that we are allowed to give thanks to the Father. The Bible teaches that 
Uh, Paul writing to the Ephesians in chapter 2, verse 18 says, For through him, through Christ, we both have our access in one spirit and to the Father. Our, our access to the Father is through Christ only. Apart from Jesus Christ, there is no access to the throne of grace. Prayer is an act of worship. It is along with the reading and the preaching of the word, the singing of the psalms and the administration of the sacraments, an element of the ordinary worship that God requires of his people. But since the fall, no one can worship the Lord. No one can serve the Lord without the, med the mediation of Jesus Christ. It is through the mediation of Jesus Christ that our prayers reach the Father. Only through Christ. That is why we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. It is not uh, a simple formula at the end of our prayers, but the awareness that the Father receives our prayer, our prayers, and our persons because of Jesus Christ. Because of his perfect work of redemption. And in response to our prayers, God is pleased to pour out many, many benefits, many, many blessings on us. All these blessings come from his sovereign grace. But brethren, in order for him to pour out the gifts of his grace upon us, his justice had, had to be satisfied. And it is Christ and Christ alone who has satisfied for us. So let us draw, let us draw near to the throne of grace in and through Jesus Christ. We can. We have access to God the Father in prayer because of Christ, through Christ. And that's the reason why Paul is giving, is giving thanks through Christ. Through Christ. Then the apostle gives thanks to God because the face of the Romans is well known, is renowned throughout the world. 
And here, here we have, we have an invincible argument to prove that faith is a gift of God. Otherwise, why would the Apostle give thanks to God for it? If faith was not a gift from God. Why should he give thanks for a virtue which every man could develop without the help of God's sovereign and effective grace? It would make no sense. Faith cannot spring naturally from a corrupted heart. That's impossible. On the contrary, the Apostle teaches us to consider faith as one aspect of the fruit of the Spirit. Faith is the fruit of the Spirit. We see that in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. Faith is the work of the Spirit. In our hearts. It is the Holy Spirit who in due course works face in the hearts of all those who are predestinated unto everlasting life. This face, brethren, worked by the Spirit in our hearts. This faith, this faith is the instrument of our justification. By it we receive Christ and his righteousness. It is by faith that the obedience and satisfaction of Christ are imputed to us. It is by faith alone, in Christ alone, that we are saved. But we must never forget that faith is a gift of God's sovereign grace. It is one of the benefits of the blessings of redemption that Christ has purchased, purchased for his people. Naturally, we are not smarter, we are not wiser than unbelievers. We have faith because God from all eternity has chosen us in Christ Jesus. He has chosen us to celebrate the praises of, of his grace. So faith is a gift of God. And for that reason, the apostle gives thanks to God for the Roman's faith. So let us give thanks to God for our faith and for the faith of our brethren. And 
let us remember that it is not of him that wills, nor of him that runs, but of God that shows mercy. The Apostle says that in Romans chapter 9, verse 16. So, it is the fame of the Roman's face that leads the Apostle to give thanks to God and to direct praises unto them and to the Roman's believers. The fame of their face. The world at the, at the time of the Apostle, the world, it seems, was amazed by their face. And per, perhaps this wonderment was due, at least in part, to the city in which these believers, these believers lived, Rome, because Rome was the capital of the Gentile world, the city of Caesar, the city of lust and idolatry, the city of all vices. So, what? powerful manifestation of the glory and reign of Jesus Christ to see the gospel entered in Rome. But there is surely more than that. The church of Rome was above all a strong and faithful church. The church in Rome was a strong and faithful church. But as we also desire to be a strong and faithful church, brethren, may we consider this morning the great, the great warning implicit in this text. Is it not from this honorable church that the Antichrist announced by Paul has come forth? Was it not this honorable church that gradually became the stronghold of apostasy? Did not the Pope of Rome and his false religion and his false gospel build their empire on the corpse of this ancient and glorious and honorable church in Rome? The church of Rome was a faithful church but it became an apostate church. So we must remind our hearts that no church, no church is immune against error and corruptions. 
all churches can unfortunately degenerate. And this is a good reason to remain humble, always. We must adhere to the truth from the depths of our hearts and never give it up. Never give it up. But we are dependent on the Lord's grace for this. We are very dependent on the Lord's grace for this. So may the degeneration of the Church of Rome be a constant witness to this truth. We need the Lord's grace to stand firm in the truth. So let us pray, let us pray that the Lord will grant it to us. May the Lord grant faithfulness to us. So, now, it is in the following verses, from 9 to 15, that providence implicitly enters into the apostles' teaching. Now, we will consider providence itself. And it is by the triple mention of his desire to visit the Romans that providence imposes itself on the reader and the listeners of the epistle. We see uh, the, the apostles' desire mentioned uh, in verse 10 to 12 and after that in verse 13 and after that again in verse 15. Sovereign providence underlies everything the apostle says in these verses. Really, everything. So, God, by his most wise and holy providence, according to the eternal purpose of his will, upholds, directs, and dispose and govern all creatures, actions, and things from the greatest to the smallest in the world. Our existence and everything belonging to it comes from God's providence. Good and bad, joy and sorrow and sorrow, health and sickness, life and death, all come according to God's holy and sovereign providence. Nothing in the created order, nothing can escape God's providence. 
not even as is sometimes taught, not even the sinful and evil actions of men and angels. Providence extends itself even to the first fall and all other sins of rational creatures. Indeed, a little later in the epistle, the apostle we say that. Romans chapter 11 from verse 32 to verse 36. The apostle says, For God has concluded, has concluded them all in unbelief, that he might have mercy upon all. All the depths of the riches of both, of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has first given to him and it shall be recompensed unto him again. For of him, and through him, and to him are all things. To one be glory forever. For of him, and through him, and to him are all things. But having said this, we must always remember that God is by no means the author of sin, nor does he approve sin. To say the one or the other would be detestable blasphemy. God is just and holy and hates sin. In fact, God is incapable of sinning. He cannot sin. He's perfectly good, perfectly holy, perfectly just and righteous. But in his providence, in a very mysterious way, he makes the evil actions of men serve his glory and his just and holy ends. That's the teaching of the Bible. We can, every day of our lives, and in all circumstances, contemplate the Lord's providence. God work. God works through His providence in absolutely all His creation. God sustains all His creation. 
His two stains eat in its existence. And God governs all his creation for his own ends. And that, that is why everything that happens to us is in some sense admirable and wonderful. Everything that happens to us is wonderful in some sense. And in saying this, I'm not here denying the reality of sin, the reality of evil, or the reality of suffering. Suffering is real. Evil is real. Sin is real. We are plagued by many evils throughout our lives. But behind, behind it all is the invisible hand of God. Working in his perfect providence for the glory of his name and for our own spiritual good. This is why the Apostle could declare in, first, in his first epistle to the Thessalonians, chapter 5, verse 18, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus to your world. Or in his epistle to the Ephesians, chapter 5, verse 20, he can say, Giving, giving thanks always for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. We can give thanks in all things and for all things because all things come to us from God's wonderful providence. All things Come to us from God's wonderful providence. So throughout the centuries, the doctrine of providence has been a powerful bone and a powerful consolation to all believers. It is a great, a great comfort to know that everything that happens in the Lord's providence happens according to his eternal purpose and good pleasure. However, however, we all have experienced times in our lives when providence becomes a cause of suffering, a cause of sadness, a cause of difficulty. This happens very often when we deeply desire something that providence 
does not allow us to achieve. Well, brethren, we find the Apostle Paul in a very similar situation when he writes to the Romans. The Apostle wishes to visit them. He wants to visit them. And uh, as most of the French uh, version of the Bible uh, translate uh, uh, verse uh, 10, he prays, uh, the, the French version says uh, that Paul prays uh, for it continually, continually. He has a strong desire to see them. He desires to visit them so much that he is unfailingly constant in his prayer. Few of us could say the same thing, even for things that are important to our hearts. It seems that Paul was praying continually to see the brethren in Rome. And so, let's look at Paul's motivation uh, for his desire. He tells us that he wanted to visit the Romans in verse 11 to impart to them some spiritual gifts. Again, in verse 11, to strengthen them. Verse 12 now, to be personally encouraged as well. Verse 13, to gather some fruit among them. This was the mission of Christ Apostle, to go to the nation and to gather some fruit among the, the, the believers. We, we see that uh, Jesus said that uh, to the apostle in John chapter 15, verse 16. And finally, verse uh, 15, to preach the gospel to them. These were Paul's motivation to visit the Romans. So, we see that unlike us, who sometimes suffer from not being able to satisfy an evil desire coupled with evil motives, the apostles' desire and motivation and motives were perfectly pure. His desire, as well as his motivation, were pure and good. Paul basically wanted to visit the Romans to build them, uh, uh, to build them up in the faith and to strengthen the congregation, to help them. This was his mission as an apostle. This was uh, in accordance with his ministry 
He himself reminds us uh, in verse 14 that he is debtor to all Greeks and barbarian, wise and unwise. He is debtor to all. To all. The apostles had authority in all the churches of God. And they were sent to preach to the whole world. But consider that in spite of this ardent desire and holy motivations, holy motives, entirely consistent with his call, his calling, and with and with God's word, providence had not yet allowed the apostle to come to Rome. Verse 13, the apostle says, and was late either to. He was hindered. So that's the question, brethren. <clears throat> what what should we, should we do when, like Paul, we desire something, some good thing, but providence does not seem to allow it? Or more generally, what should we do when, when the works of providence seem to be contrary to us and cause us pain? What should I do before an adversary, a contrary providence? What should I do when I face, when I'm facing an adverse providence? We will find an answer in these verses. But, but <clears throat> maybe, first of all, we can, we can thank God that in his providence, he does not allow us to fulfill all our desires. Why? Because uh, many of our desires, with the inward motivation that animate them, are impure and not conform to God's law. And by not allowing us to fulfill them, the Lord prevents us from singing from sinning, sorry, against him. By not allowing us to fulfill them, the Lord prevents us from sinning against him. And that's a very nice thing. That's a blessing indeed. But sometimes our desires and our motivation are lawful, are just this does not mean that our desire and our motivation are uh, absolutely free from all corruption of sin. Indeed, all the faculties of our soul remain stained by sin. 
And even in our best wishes, even in our best aspirations, there is always a remnant of corruption. The Apostle says, For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary, the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. We are never absolutely free from all corruption. Nevertheless, our desires and motivation and motives are said to be good and right when they are sincerely in accordance with the revealed will of God. When they are sincerely in accordance with the revealed will of God. For example, I give you an example. It is right and it is good for us to desire the conversion and the repentance of our nation. This is a good wish. This is a good desire. Who among us does not wish to see his people return from uh, the deeply unrighteous way, unrighteous ways in which it has gone astray. Who does not wish that his neighbor will know the happiness that comes from conversion to Jesus Christ? Who does not wish that the kings and princes of the land would embrace the Lord Jesus Christ by faith? It is the duty of kings and princes. As God says to us in Psalm 2, it is the love of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of our neighbor that leads us to desire their conversion, their salvation. The desire, this desire is good. It's a good desire. It is in accordance with the requirements of the word of God. It is in accordance with God's words with God's word. Let us, let us listen what the Apostle Paul himself said about his desire to see his nation converted. Chapter 9 of Romans, verse 3. For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren. It is legitimate, it is good, it is correct to desire the salvation of our nation, of our family, of our friends. But so far, this desire remains unfulfilled. 
we still hope the conversion of our nations. So, when we face an adverse providence, brethren, we must, first of all, we must continue to pray. And this is the first thing we can learn from this text. Look at verse uh, 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 9 and 10. The apostle says that without ceasing, without ceasing, I make mention of you always, always in my prayers, making a request, if by any means, no at length, I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. Without ceasing, always, the apostle is praying without ceasing. Always for the romance. To have the opportunity to visit them. Our catechism says that prayer is, among other things, an offering up of our desires unto God. Of course, this desire must be for things agreeable to his will. So let us pray for our lawful desires. Let us pray for our lawful desire. Let us seek help in our God when providence is contrary to us, when providence is adverse to us. Let us seek help in God. Let us pray continually without ceasing for our lawful desires and let us be sure that God hears us brethren God hears our prayers really truly God listens the pray to the prayers of his own people prayer is one of the ways in which God bestows his many blessings upon us. In response to our prayers, God pours out the gifts of his grace upon us. We must not become weary or discouraged if we do not, if we do not see uh, an immediate change. Rather, we must Persevere in prayer. We must continue to pray. Let us draw near to God and pour out our hearts before Him. God, brethren, is the only one who can change the times and the circumstances. The only one. Nobody can do that. Only God can change times and circumstances of an afflicting of an afflicting providence. Only God can change an afflicting providence, an hard providence, 
And he's the only one who can comfort our afflicted hearts. The Lord will help us. The Lord will help us if we pray. Either by, ch by changing the circumstances or by granting us the patience and the strength to endure an adverse providence. So let's pray continually when we face an adversary providence. Secondly, we have to accept God's will. Verse 10 again, the apostle says, If by any means know at length, I may have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come into you. By the will of God. Behind providence, press friend, behind providence is the secret will of God. Let us remember that providence is the, the realization in time of God's eternal decree, of God's secret will. We often ask, we often ask ourselves, why is providence adverse to me? Why does God not realize this lawful desire of mine? Why do I suffer so much? This difficult question, in fact, call for a very simple answer, a very easy answer, because this is God's will. Because this is God's will. And it is not for anyone to question God's will. Romans chapter 9, verse 20. Nay, but, O man, who art thou that replayest against God? We cannot question God's will. But accepting God's will is a great, a great comfort for us. Why? Because we are not left, brethren, to the will of an evil or indifferent being. We are not left to the will of a weak being. We are in the hands of a perfectly good God. A God who is perfectly good. There is a reason for everything that happens to us. And that reason is to be found in God's will. An absolutely good will. I don't need to know why providence is adverse to me. I only need to know that providence works according to the will of an absolutely good God. That's, that's the, main, the main thing. That's the most important. So we must learn to submit our reason, our will, and our affection to the, sover to the sovereign will 
of our good God. Of our good God. So finally, thirdly, when we are facing an adverse providence, we have to consider that everything that happens to us is for our good. This is what Paul reveals later in this epistle. Chapter 8, verse 28, a very famous verse, a very, a very famous verse. The apostle says, And we know that all things work together for the good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. What a comfort, what a consolation. Everything that happens to us is for our good. Infinite, it's for our good. In his sovereignty and love, God makes even sin and suffering and evils work for our good. We must believe this. We must believe this. This is the truth. We must take hold of this truth by faith and cherish it in our in our hearts. It is especially through these difficult times that the Lord sanctifies more. The Lord renews our whole being in his image, mortifies sin in us and vivifies the saving graces through the affliction we endure. And so, if our suffering serves our holiness, it serves our good. We must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God, say Paul. If affliction serves our holiness, so affliction serves our good. One day, brethren, our suffering will end. Soon, our sufferings will end. And on that day, in the presence of God, we will understand how much the suffering, disappointments and frustrations we have experienced has been for our good and to the glory of the Lord. Providence may be contrary to us, but it can only be for a time. Soon it will never be contrary to us again. Soon. So to conclude our meditation this morning, let me tell you the end of the story. Paul was finally able to go to Rome. After being arrested in Jerusalem, he was taken to Rome after a very hard, a very difficult journey. But he was conducting, conducted uh, to Rome as a prisoner. 
as a prisoner to be tried. This is certainly not what the apostle expected when he wrote to the Romans. But God always works perfectly through his providence. So, so that despite his status as a prisoner, Paul was able to carry out his ministry. That's a wonderful providence, isn't it? The book of Acts ends with these words. And Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house and received all that came in unto him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding him. So in face of a contrary providence, let us imitate the Apostle Paul. Let us continue to pray. Let, let us submit to the sovereign will of God. And let us consider that all that happens to us serves our good. Providence will not remain contrary forever. May the Lord bless you. Let us stand to pray. O oh Lord our God, blessed be your name. Blessed be your providence, O oh Lord. Your favorable providence and your adverse providence. Blessed be your providence, O oh, oh Lord. Because through your providence, you work all things for the glory of your name and for our own good, our own spiritual good. We ask for your grace, O oh Lord, that we may be able to, to have a good reaction, a good attitude before an adverse providence. We ask for your grace. We ask to be able to look at providence as believers, believing that Despite the appearances, it works for your glory and it works for our good. Enable us, O oh God, to be perseverant in prayer when we are in affliction. And <clears throat> enable us, O oh God, to submit to your, your good will, your good and sovereign will. And enable us to see <coughs> providence as your word describes it. 
as a wonderful <coughs> working of all things for your glory, for the glory of your name and for the spiritual good of your people. That's our prayer, O oh Lord. And we pray, uh, we give thanks to you because we have access, we have access to you in prayers because of your Son, Jesus Christ, because he is a perfect Savior, because uh, his obedience to the law has been perfect, because he endured on the cross the perfect punishment for our sins, and because now he's perfectly uh, uh, making intercession in heaven. So thanks. We thank thee, O Lord, for the gift of your Son, for the everlasting life in him. And because in him all things work together for our good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Let us sing Psalm 121. 121. I, to the hills, will lift mine is I to the hills will
let us stand up for the benediction. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. Amen.